Merry Christmas, Harvest. It's good to be with you all. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Matthew 2? We're going to be in Matthew 2 this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles that would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. Just raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, as always, consider that our gift to you. If you are new or visiting, my name is Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest, and I'm just so thankful that you are celebrating Christmas with us. We are so happy to be worshiping with you this morning, and um, in my opinion... Like right now is the best part of Christmas in a lot of ways. It's the anticipation just a couple days before Christmas comes. School has wrapped up. We are on Christmas break now. For many of us, work is winding down and maybe family is starting to come in from out of town and Christmas is just two days away and we are so excited. We've opened up almost all of the little boxes in our chocolate advent calendar and like we're getting really, really close and the anticipation is so wonderful. And uh, I gathered the team that helps outline my messages. We gathered together and here's what our goal was. We're like, how do we make the most softest, warmest, coziest Christmas message ever? All right, like we want to just be sentimental and fluffy. And and, and how do we make a soft Christmas message? We want this message today to be the Christmas sweater of Christmas messages. All right, so here's what we came up with. This was our best shot. Um, Let me know how we did. Here's what it is. Here's the big idea. The way you're celebrating Christmas might be killing your joy. (laughs) How do we do? No, it doesn't feel like a Christmas sweater. All right, well, we tried, right? We gave it our best effort. We'll do better next year. Um, But here's the thing, Christmas is supposed to be all about joy. Joy was the message that the angels gave to the shepherds in Luke 2 when they said, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy, not a little bit of joy, not mediocre joy, great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is here. The Savior has come. Joy is available. In the video we just watched, it said that joy is the supernatural delight that sustains and satisfies. And I don't know if you know this or not. Did you know that Jesus is deeply invested in your joy? Do you know that? That Jesus cares a lot about how joyful your heart is right now. In John 15, 11, after he was done preaching, it says this. It says, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have hearts that are full of joy, and I would even say it this way, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we carry the responsibility to hold the joy of Christ within us, that when people see us, they would see people who are filled with joy because we know our creator. Jesus is deeply invested in our joy. So when we come together as God's people in God's house, celebrating the birth of God's son, our joy meter should be through the roof. All right, so let me ask you an honest question this morning. How much joy is in your heart this holiday season? Right, because so often we go through the holidays and we've been through Christmases before where we've experienced a lot of things, but joy is not top on that list. 
We've experienced frustration. We've experienced doubt. We've experienced conflict. We've experienced even despair or mourning. But our hearts have not been full of joy. You know, it's a common term in our culture to talk about the days after Christmas as the holiday hangover. So this very thing that's supposed to bring us joy, that we're supposed to celebrate the birth of Jesus, leads to us feeling miserable. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles and videos online all about how do you survive the holidays, all right? Christmas, the celebration of Jesus, should not be about survival. It should be about thriving and having hearts full of joy. Earlier in this Advent series, we had a big idea that said we had to acknowledge the reality that you and I might be missing it. That the love of God, the thing that is most important in our lives, we might be doing all the right things, but missing out on his love. And I think one of the indicators that we might be missing the most important thing is if our hearts do not respond to our Savior with joy. So here's the question. How was your heart this morning when you came here? Are you full of joy? Did you worship with joy in your heart this morning? Or are you here because you have to be? Or are you here because it's what you always do? Where is your joy this morning? And we're going to see this morning in Scripture that for some people, the birth of Jesus did not bring them joy. And it is possible to be caring about other things so deeply that the birth of Jesus is actually a threat to our joy rather than something that would give us joy. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 2 and follow along as I read. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 6. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from, the, came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and I just think that's so cool, they called it his star, right? Not a star, we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, and he was pumped. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all of the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ that was to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." All right, so the first joy-killing response to Christmas that we see is a desire for control. And this is represented by King Herod. And it's basically this idea that I need to be God. Herod is approached by these three kings from the east. And if you think about it, this story is really funny. Because these wise men show up and they meet Herod. And they're like, hey, where is the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, you're looking at him, bro. Nice to meet you. And they're like, no, 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 no. Where's the real king? We saw his star. And Herod is not excited about this news, but he becomes troubled and he becomes angry. Look what happens in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You see, this baby Jesus was a threat to the reign of King Herod. He has found out there's another king in town and he can't have it. He needs to be in control of his kingdom. And if you know how this story goes, Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to kill him. 
And God miraculously intervenes by sending a message to the wise men to tell them, go avoid Herod as you leave. Don't go back there. And then he sends an angel to Joseph and Mary saying, you need to flee to Egypt. And once Herod finds out that the wise men has left, he becomes so angry, he goes to Bethlehem and kills every child, every male child to try to get rid of Jesus. This story ends horribly because Herod had to maintain control. All right, can we be honest at church this morning? Who in here is a little bit of a control freak? Anyone or just your pastor, right? Raise them up. Um, If you're sitting by someone who's a control freak and they're not raising your hand, just grab their arm and can you just raise it for them? Like call them out right now, right? Like we have some of this in us where we want to be in control, but look here, church. You and I were not designed to be in control. And the second we stop longing with our hearts to have control, but yield our hearts to the one who is in control and is good, then we will begin to experience joy. But as long as we have this desire to hold on to control of our life, joy is always going to elude us. And this isn't in your notes, but I think this plays out in a few different ways. Um, I I think one way this desire for control plays out is I I have my plan, and things are going to go according to my plan. Maybe it's your plan for Christmas this year, right? Maybe you're um, the one who's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. Christmas Eve, everyone's going to show up at the house at 345, and uh, if you show up at 350, there's going to be a price to pay. And then we're all going to go in, and we're going to have Christmas dinner that's going to be cooked perfectly, and then we're going to go to church and go to the Christmas Eve service, then we're going to come back and have hot chocolate, we're going to sit by the tree, we're going to open presents, and everyone's going to sit around, hold hands, and talk about how much they love their mama, right? That's my plan for Christmas. This is how this is going to go, and if one thing doesn't go well, you say things like, well, now everything's ruined, (laughs) right? We laugh because it's true, and that's terrifying. Maybe it's the plan of how your life is going to go. Maybe you're like, this is where I want to be. This is when I want to get married. This is how many kids I'm going to have. This is my career path. This is how much money I'm going to make. And then when there are bumps along the way, we become paralyzed. We become anxious. We become irritable. In James 4, 13 and 15 The Bible says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This idea that we have control over our lives or the lives of the ones we love is an illusion. And the longer we try to control everything, joy will always be just outside of our grasp. And once we believe that our focus is not on where am I going or how am I going to get there, but it's on how can I worship Jesus and enjoy my creator and love God right now and be thankful for what he's given me, then joy begins to flood our heart in Christmas. Listen. There are some of you in here who maybe when you look back on 2018, it's a year full of regret. And it's a year full of, man, things that didn't go my way. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, I thought I would have been graduated by now. 
And I can't believe I still have to do school. Or I thought I would be married by now. Or I thought I would have children by now. Or I thought I'd be retired by now. And, and because things didn't go our way, we choose to hold on to bitterness and anger. And it's because we've tried to take control of something that never belonged to us. Herod needed control. The second way I think this plays out is simply this. Um, I just want what I want. Right? I want control by just things better go my way and I better get what I want. If you're looking for something fun to do uh, this Christmas, you can go on YouTube. And if you just type in kids freaking out for not getting the right Christmas gift, there are like hours of fun there, right? Kids opening up gifts, not getting what they want, and just losing their minds. And um, it, it's funny to see in kids, but so often we can be like that. Like, why is there so much conflict in family around the holidays? You want to know why it is? Because your family's different than you, right? And it's like, man, if everyone just thought like I thought, if everyone just responded to things like I responded, if everyone just understood what I understood, we'd all get along much greater. Like, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, man, if everyone just thought like me, the world would be a much better place, right? It's because we're control freaks, right? All, all joking aside, it's natural for us to want people to think like us and want people to view the world the way we view the world. And when you are with the people who know you best and when have been with you the longest and they're different from you, it often leads to conflict because we can't get what we want. You and I were not designed to be in control. And you need to understand this. Control or the desire to control your life is dangerous. Herod killed innocent children because he needed to have control of his kingdom and Jesus was a threat to his control and our desire to control our lives is going to kill our joy. The first joy-killing attitude would be that that needs control. All right, look again at verse 3. I want to show you the second joy-killing response to Christmas. And this one's so often missed in the story, but I think it's amazing that it's here. Look at verse 3 again. It said, When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least amongst the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. All right, so the three kings show up and they're like, hey, where's the Messiah? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he gathers the religious leaders... All right, you need to understand this. The religious leaders would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Their entire lives were devoted to studying the scriptures. And the whole Old Testament points to one thing. It's that a Messiah will come and he will save his people. At the second Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promises a savior that will crush the head of Satan and will redeem God's people. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And now these kings from the east showed up and they said, hey, we're astrologists. We've been studying the sky. This savior, he's here. We've seen his star. And the religious leaders are like, yeah, well, um, we know the prophecy. It says that he'll be in Jerusalem uh, or be in Bethlehem. So good luck. You can try to go find him there. Okay, here's the question. How were the religious leaders not more excited about this? How were they not freaking out? This was the hope of the Jewish people. And people are saying, no, he's here. He's alive. And they're like, yeah, I mean, you can go check in Bethlehem, I guess. 
Second joy-killing response to Christmas is passive indifference. The religious leaders just didn't care. Like, that's amazing to me. Jesus was the hope of the Old Testament. Um, I don't know if you've ever, like, seen a celebrity before or, or, or someone that, like, you were just, like, crazy about in person. Have you ever done that and, like, totally freaked out? I have. It was super embarrassing. Um, I was, uh, I grew up in, in Wheaton, Illinois. I was there till I was six. And if you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s in the suburbs of Chicago, there is nothing better in the world than the Chicago Bulls, all right? That was Michael Jordan. That was Scottie Pippen. It's the greatest basketball team ever. Debate over. Not going to even talk about that again. They're just the best in the history of the world. I grew up watching them, and, and they were just like heroes for me as a kid. And about four or five years ago, I was visiting my family who lives in Orlando, and we went to an Orlando Magic basketball game. And I was with my brother, who's about six years younger than me, and we were kind of just walking in the arena, and all of a sudden walking at us. My, my brother goes, um, hey, look who it is, Cal. And it was Scottie Pippen. All right, now Scottie Pippen's one of the best 50 basketball players of all time. He was like Michael Jordan's wingman. Like, he was a hero to me. And like, I see him, and I instantly just start sweating. Right? And I'm like, play it cool, play it cool. And we're walking by each other. And I, he looks at me, and we catch eyes. I'm looking, I'm like, what's up, Scotty? <laughs> and he just kind of smiles and shakes his head and keeps walking. And my brother's like, you're so embarrassing. You're such an idiot right now. That really happened, right? Like, I was freaking out because I saw someone that was like a hero of mine growing up. All right, this was the coming Messiah. The king of Israel, the one that was going to bring Israel freedom. And these Pharisees just did not care. They were indifferent. I don't know why they're indifferent. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe like, who are these foreigners that are going to come tell us about our king? They don't know what they're talking about. They're just looking at the sky. There's a lot of stars up there. Maybe they're not as good of astrologers as they thought they are. But we would know if he was here. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe they thought they were good. Right? Hey, listen, um, it's cool that the Messiah is here, but I'm already following all the laws. I'm going to worship at the temple. I'm following all of the cleanliness rituals. Like, God and I are good. I don't need to care about Jesus. Maybe they're just so into going through the motions that they missed what was most important. At some point, they just didn't care. They didn't care enough to go see their king. I'm a, a Jewish writer and Holocaust survivor. His name was Elie Wiesel. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Just simply not caring. And if we were honest, we would have to admit that so often our hearts are so consumed with ourselves that we become indifferent to Jesus Christ. Right? How many times would we say, man, I just got too busy with my own thing that I didn't set aside time to pray and meet with the Lord. I wasn't in his word just because I was indifferent and was just living for myself. I didn't create time to engage with God. It's so easy for us to be consumed with work or family or crisis or conflict that Jesus becomes second place even in the season that we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of our Savior. And listen, I've said this so many times, but think about it. The most self-absorbed, selfish person you know. Think about that person. Don't point at them if they're sitting next to you. Do you have that person in your mind? They're probably the least joyful person you know too, right? Because we were not created to worship ourselves and to be consumed with ourselves. We were created to worship Jesus and to be filled with his spirit. 
okay, look here. There's a lot of things that we can be indifferent on. We can be indifferent about sports. We can be indifferent about school. We can be indifferent about politics. You can even be indifferent about me. That's okay. But listen, we cannot be indifferent about Jesus Christ. There is a day coming for all of us when the most important thing in your life will be, did you love Jesus or were you indifferent? It won't matter how good you looked, how many friends you had, how successful you were, how many likes you had on social media. It will be, did you love Jesus? We don't have the option of indifference. And every second we choose indifference, we're running away from a supernatural joy that God would have for us. All right, well, now I want to look at a couple people who weren't indifferent to Jesus and see how their response gives us hope and gives us a guide for how we need to respond to Jesus today. If you have your Bible, turn over a couple books to Luke 2. We're going to be in Luke 2, starting at verse 8. This is a very famous passage. It's the Christmas story. We're going to meet these shepherds, and we're going to see how they respond to Jesus. It says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. All right, look at verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went and with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Okay, the first way we will experience joy this Christmas is we have to see ourselves clearly, and it's that we are nothing. Don't miss the shepherd's response. They were blown away that an angel would reveal Jesus to them. They were like, we need to go quickly find this baby whom this angel has revealed to us. They were shocked that they would be the ones that would welcome Jesus into this world. You see, they understood they were not the powerful. They were not the elite. They were not the educated. They were not the wealthy. They were not the rulers. If God would have hired a PR firm to say, how do I announce the coming of my son? It would not have been to the shepherds. They would have been like, go to Rome, go to Jerusalem, gather a ton of people. No, no, no. This was shepherds in a field. And because they understood what was happening and how unworthy they were to be the ones to receive that message, they got to Jesus as fast as they could. They understood who they were. So I have a five-year-old son, and his name is Bo. And my son Bo is sports crazy. All he wants to do is play sports. Every day when I come home from work, he goes, hey, Dad, can, we, can you play a sport with me? And I'm like, what do you want to play? He's like, I don't care. He'll play football, he'll play basketball, he'll play baseball, he'll play soccer. He just wants to play sports, but we always have to play against each other. So we'll get down to our basement, and we're like, all right, let's play football. And this is what he always says. He's like, all right, I'm the good guys, you're the bad guys. <laughs> right? 
Hundreds of times a year, my son is calling me a bad guy. It's incredibly damaging to my psyche, right? I'm always the bad guy. Because here's the thing. There is this like tendency for us to believe that we're the good guys. We believe that we're the righteous. We believe that we're the good. And sure, we make mistakes and do things wrong, but ultimately we're good people. And so often that can be something that hinders our love and desire to get to Jesus. The shepherds knew who they were. They were the outcasts. They were the ones on the fringes of society. And they're like, man, God revealed himself to us. And what they understood is, is the message of Christmas is this. That Jesus went where he didn't have to go. And Jesus loves who he doesn't have to love. That's the message of Christmas. It's not just about a baby in a manger. It is the incarnate love of God going where it didn't have to to reach people that didn't deserve it. The reason we have joy around Christmas is because we understand the condition of our heart and we know that God made a move to us to reconcile a relationship that we had broken. And here's what's awesome. Is this same love that God shows to us in the birth of Jesus Christ was the exact same love that Jesus lived with while he was here on earth. Did you know that? Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, turn again to John 4. Another book to the right, John chapter 4. We're going to see Jesus meet a woman who in a lot of ways was a lot like these shepherds. John 4. Here's what it says. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Okay, this is interesting. And what this is showing us is that Jesus, when he was alive, he went places he didn't have to go. You need to understand that Jews did not enter into Samaria. All right, there was real racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. Here's why. Because when the Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians, a lot of them um, left the land. But the Babylonians had some Jewish people stay. And those Jewish people, they intermarried with people from all over the world. And then when the Jews came back to their land, now you had these half-Jew, half-other-nation people that were living there, and they called them the Samaritans. So the Jews viewed themselves as like the purebreds, and the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were kind of family, but they weren't really family, and they hated each other, and there was conflict. And most religious Jewish men would not even step foot in Samaria because they believed it was below them. Samaritans weren't allowed to worship where the Jews weren't. There was like real racial brokenness between these two people, but it says Jesus passes right through Samaria. He goes where other people would not go. Look at verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, if you keep reading in John 4, you realize that the reason that woman was at the well when Jesus was there is because she wasn't allowed to get water with everyone else because she had a history of past sexual sin. And she had many husbands. She had a bad reputation. So when the other women gathered water, they wouldn't allow her to go. She had to go in the middle of the day by herself. And yet Jesus sits with her and he says, if you knew who I was, 
All you would have to do is ask, and I would give you living water. I would give you salvation. I would give you eternal life. And we see again, Jesus loves who he does not have to love. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus coming to love people who are unworthy like you and like me. Which leads to our second way we're going to have joy this Christmas. is You'll experience joy when I can't help but worship because I am his. And if you were to read Luke 2 and John 4, you'd find something very, very interesting. The response of the shepherds and the response of the woman in Samaria are almost identical. The shepherds hear the message from the angel and they run and they find Mary and Joseph. It says they tell everyone what happened. Hey, we heard from an angel that this baby is the Messiah and we want to worship him. You know what the woman in Samaria does? She runs and she tells the entire town of Sychar, hey, listen, I've met Jesus and I believe he's the Messiah and he's forgiven me and you have to hear about this man. They run and they tell and later on in John 4 at the end, it says many people in the town came to believe because Jesus spent two days with them and they knew him and they loved him. When we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we can't help but worship. Worship isn't something that just happens in church. Listen, Christmas is not about presents. It's not about family. It's about worship. Our life is about worship, and we're going to make a choice. Are we going to worship ourselves or the things in this broken world, or are we going to worship the one who came to make things right? We were created to worship Jesus. It's always been all about worship. When we see clearly who we are, and we see clearly a love that came when it didn't have to, and loved people it didn't have to, how can we not have joy this Christmas? All right, so I want to end with this. It's going to be super practical. It's this, three ways to keep joy alive this Christmas. Three things we can do in the next couple days to keep joy alive. Here's the first um, simply spend time with Jesus, right? How many of you would agree that it would be awkward or weird to show up at a birthday party and never talk to the kid whose birthday it was, right? That'd be weird. Okay, so don't be the awkward kid who celebrates Jesus' birthday and never spends any time with Jesus. And listen, you have today, you have tomorrow, you have Tuesday. Find some time where you just carve out 15, 20 minutes and get with the Lord and pray and thank him for coming. Thank him for pursuing you. Thank him for loving you. Talk with Jesus. Listen, Jesus came so we could have relationship with God. And it is a loss for us to be in the Christmas season, right? The thing about Christmas is you have to like go to a lot of parties and spend a lot of time with people and talk to a lot of people you don't want to talk to. Like we get to talk to Jesus whenever we want. Don't punt on that. Don't be the awkward kid at the birthday party, all right? Here's the next one. Be present during these next few days. Um, put your phone away. Enjoy your children as they come and hang out and open presents. Enjoy the family members you don't get to see all the time. Ask about how people's lives are going. Take time to talk with your family about how good Jesus has been to you. Like, don't just... Be on the phone or watching TV. Don't just go through the motions and do what you always do. Be present. Make this time special because we're remembering the birth of our Savior. And then here's the last one. Don't sweat the small stuff. Like, listen, 
We're broken people living in a broken world. You know what that means? Uh, one of the little kids is going to have a temper tantrum. It's going to happen. They're going to get too tired. They're going to get freak out, right? Listen, you're going to have a family member make some snide comment you don't appreciate. I promise you it's going to happen. The turkey may burn. For some of you, you like know that's going to happen because it burns every year. But listen. Okay, look here. We can't have our joy be so fragile that something as insignificant as a tired child or burnt turkey or a family member can topple over our joy. Listen, our joy is rooted in something that will never change. No matter how your Christmas goes this year, Jesus has still come. And he is still saved. And he has still died on the cross, being the perfect substitution, taking your sin. You have right relationship with God because Jesus rose from the dead. And sin and death will be defeated. And there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There is a day coming where we will see and know Jesus. And our faith will be made sight. That can't be taken away. Don't let the joy that that should bring our heart be toppled over by something insignificant. Choose to be gracious, choose to love, choose to forgive, choose joy. A joy that is supernatural because it is rooted in the supernatural Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good and you are so kind. And God, I just would ask, would you forgive us um, for wanting to be in control? and for um, wanting to be the author of our lives rather than yielding our hearts to you? Would you forgive us for being indifferent and, and just being consumed by things that don't matter? God, we do it all the time. We need your help. We need your spirit. And God, I'm just asking right now, would you just supernaturally work in our hearts? Would you maybe restore to us the joy that we long for, that you would desire for us to have? God, you say, you, you say that you came so that we would have joy and that our joy would be full. God, we're asking for that. Would our hearts be set on you this Christmas? We love you. Thank you for coming when you didn't have to and loving us when you didn't have to. You are everything we have. And it's in your beautiful son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray and we celebrate. Amen.